Hey, this is John Straza, and this is the Sower Seeds podcast. Today, we're going to continue talking about the heart of the gospel, and this is our third episode in the series. And it's a really intensely wonderful thing to talk about. The gospel is a wonderful thing to talk about, and Paul was one of the people who, the Apostle Paul, was one of the people who God used to bring about the clarity of the gospel and to really make it something that we could understand. And Romans was his letter that he wrote that really brought this to light. So we're going to stay in Romans, and I want you to find chapter 1 again, and we're going to go back to some of the things we were talking about, and we're just going to let this flow. I've been in this all week, and there's so much to say, I'm pretty sure that I'm not going to get it all out. So that doesn't matter. We're just going to let this flow and stay in the heart of the gospel. So let's look again when Paul started his letter. He said, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he promised before by his prophets and the Holy Scriptures. And I asked last time and gave some example, but, you know, when did we hear this in the Old Testament? But it's all over the, whole, the Old Testament. And I want you to look at a verse in Jeremiah 31, and it's uh, verse 33. And the Lord is talking here, and he's talking about the gospel. So this is one of these cases where, like in verse 2 here in, in Romans, he says, which he promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So here's a major example of this in Jeremiah 31. Look at this. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more shall no more shall every man teach his brother and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. And this is pointing to what our covenant would be, the new covenant. The gospel. That's what this is about. We live in a new covenant with God. And that's why he said there, this will be my covenant with them. In other words, a new covenant was coming. Look at that in verse 33. And this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. So that was to come. And this is the covenant that we live in now. And that he would forgive our sins and that we would be in relationship. That's what he was saying. We wouldn't know God from a distance where somebody would tell us something and we would just kind of know it in our mind and follow along. He was saying that I will be their God, that he would live in us, he would speak with us, that we would have a relationship from the least of them to the greatest. That's the beauty of this. This is for everybody. Even what you would consider, even how God said it, the least of them, meaning the smallest of them or the least of us, whatever the case may be, each person has the right to know the Lord in a personal way and have God speak with them and be in them and work in them and talk with them and teach them. It's God in us. That's the gospel. That's the newness of the covenant that we, li uh, we, we live in today. So I want to 
look at um, Romans 1 again just for a minute in verse 16. And we were going over this last time, verse 16, which says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile or the Greek. For therein, look at this, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. And Paul was starting out here by trying to show us that we were going to have a righteousness that is of faith. In the Old Testament, there was a righteousness that was of the letter or of the law. But we don't live in that covenant. It's different. We don't do something to be made righteous. We don't follow a law to be made righteous. The law is good. It was perfect, actually. So you can't say the law was a bad thing. We just couldn't walk in it. Thousands of years proved it. We couldn't walk in it. But the Lord always had a plan of salvation right from the beginning. He brought the law about, in a sense, well, not even in a sense, he brought the law about to show us sin, to silence us in a way and say, yes, I need a savior. It killed us. The law killed us. And Paul writes that. He writes that, that the law kills I want to show you something in um, Corinthians. Uh, it would be 2 Corinthians 3. And it's incredible. Look at verse 6. Uh, Paul was talking about preaching the gospel and how they were made ministers to preach the gospel. And, and he said, who also made us, he was talking about God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, how is that possible that the law kills? It's because sin kills, and when sin is apparent, when sin is brought to light, which the law did, it kills us. But look at verse 7, and this might make some of you pretty surprised, but Paul is saying, but if the ministry or the administration of death, he was talking about the law here, and I'll prove that in a minute. But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadfastly at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? Basically, he's saying that the law, when it came, was glorious. So much so that when Moses came, this is why he's talking about the law, it's when Moses came down with the law and his face was brilliant and white and the people of Israel couldn't even look at him. He was carrying this law. He had this experience with God and this perfect law, the Ten Commandments, was in his, right in his hands and they couldn't even look at him. But it says they couldn't look steadfastly at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, his face, which glory was passing away. His face and the glory eventually just toned down. That was a foreshadowing of what would happen with the law, interestingly enough. But it's also saying then, how will 
the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious. In other words, the work of the Spirit of God, the work of Jesus, the work of God in our lives, in salvation, is even greater. It's a greater glory. So the law was glorious, but our righteousness by faith is greater because now we have a personal relationship. That's what Paul is trying to bring about here. It sounds complicated, but it isn't. But I did want you to hear Paul say, but if the ministry of death, the administration of death, in verse 9, he says, for if the ministry of condemnation had glory. He's saying that the law was death. He was saying that it was condemnation because that was the effect it had in our lives. That's all he's saying. Paul was an eloquent and deep writer, but what he's saying in, his, in its simplicity is that the law, the effect it had on us was death and condemnation because the law brought about the understanding of sin in our lives. We saw that we were guilty. We saw that we had lust because the law said, don't lust. The law showed us sin and in doing so, it slayed us, it killed us. It made us come to the place where we knew eventually that we need a savior, that we can't save ourselves. That's what this is about. I want to show you something in a scripture in Romans, actually. Um, so we're, we're going to stay in Romans, but it's Romans 10. And this is really something, I mean, people have a hard time with this, but Paul repeated himself again and again about this topic. And look at verse 4 in Romans 10. It's, it's something else to behold. It says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. For Moses described the righteousness which is of the law that the man which does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith, and there you go, there it's been said, Paul said it, if you didn't believe me, then argue with Paul. But the righteousness which is of faith speaks in this way. Now we went over this verse with the last episode. Listen to this. Say not in your heart, who shall ascend into heaven? And Paul says that is to bring Christ down from above. Or who shall ascend into the deep? And Paul says, and that is to bring Christ again from the dead. But what does it say? In other words, what does the righteousness of faith say? And it says this, the word is near you, even in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. He's saying the word of God is in your heart, it's in your mouth, and that's the word of faith which we preach. That if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Remember last week we said saved was, was being healed, delivered, protected, preserved, made whole, kept safe and sound. Sozo, the word sozo, the Greek word sozo. He says that if you believe that you raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That's a deep word. For with the heart man believes unto what? Righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made to salvation. For the scripture says, 
Whosoever believes in him shall not be ashamed. You know, the law makes a person ashamed. Thou shalt not. That makes you ashamed just hearing that alone. But the righteousness, which is a faith, we're looking to God and what he did. We're not looking to what we do. We're looking to what he did. And this Paul was driving this into them because they had lived for, for hundreds of years the other way. What they had to do to be right before God and pleasing before God. They were following a law. It was in their DNA. And it is to this day. Religious people feel that they just, and most of us have a religious strain in our lives, so we just think what, what I do is going to matter. And it does in some ways, but not as far as your right standing with God. It matters what you do out in this world. Yes, you want to do what's right. This isn't a license to just go do whatever you want to do. Be it far from you to even think that way. This is a license to become brand new inside of you, and you will see that that newness of life will spread through you, and it'll spread right out to others. You will do good things. You'll do great things. That's what this is about. So this is, this is what Paul is talking about. I, it's so exciting. It really is. It's exciting. Remember the verse that we were looking at in the Colossians last time, and, and, um, Look at that in Colossians. I know I'm bouncing around a little bit, but these are reminders so you can have these things in your heart. But Colossians 1 and verse 13, he's talking about God here. Is it giving thanks unto the Father, which has made us partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. And look at this, verse 13, who has delivered us from the power of darkness. What do you think happened to you when you were saved? You were delivered from a world and a power of and the power of darkness. And this is what happened. Look at this. And has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, not through the law, through his blood. Even the forgiveness of sins. And the forgiveness of sins. It's, it's, it's what we read in Jeremiah earlier. He's not going to remember your sins. That's part of this covenant. I'll find that again. And I'll quickly, I'll find that. Uh, look at Jeremiah again. I know I'm all over the place today. You're just going to have to forgive me. Jeremiah 31 and verse 34, no more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me, from the least to the greatest of them, says the Lord. And look at this, look at this. I want you to get this burned in your heart. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. He means it when he says that. That's the gospel. That's the New Testament. That's grace. And that's what I believe. And that's what Paul said was the power of God to salvation. That's why Paul said that in, in the first chapter of Romans. It was the, one of the key points in that chapter when he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. 
to everyone that believes. It's just, this is awesome. This is so awesome. This is the salvation you have. And this is just really skimming the surface. But you know what? Most people don't even have this. And I concentrate on this all the time. I go back to these basics all the time because it matters more than anything else. This is the love of God given to you. It's just so amazing. And before I close today, I want to go uh, into John 3. Again, I know we are all over, but this is so exciting. And it just shows you that this gospel is presented everywhere we go. It just opens up. When this revelation starts to open, you'll be all over the Old Testament, the New Testament, and you're going to see it everywhere. This is the plan of God. And Jesus was talking about himself. You know, John 3 is a very famous chapter. You know, when I was younger, um, and most Christians knew John 3.16, and everybody went around quoting it, and there were bumper stickers everywhere. But this is two verses earlier. Jesus is talking and saying, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And I'll continue. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And look at 17. For God sent not. That word is important. God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. He that believes on him is not condemned. You see that? And this is what the Lord is trying to teach the body of Christ. The body of Christ, by and large, walks around with their heads hanging and their hands hanging down and they're just they're struggling and they're, they just don't realize the salvation that they have. And this is why I'm so passionate about this. I wish I sometimes could just shake somebody. I've had to do it for myself even. I went years without understanding this. When I was a younger pastor, head pastor of a church, and I didn't understand this. I had to find these things out. And when I did, I just cried. I just cried when I realized that the Lord has forgiven me fully and thoroughly, and I didn't even have to do anything to make that happen. And that's what, look at this. I, I read something and I didn't go over it. Look at this, verse 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. You may know the story, you may not, but when Moses was going through the desert with, with the people of Israel, he just had one trouble after another with them, and they, they sinned against the Lord, and one of the curses was that these snakes came along and started biting them, and they were dying. There were serpents everywhere in the land. They just showed up out of nowhere because these people were so rebellious. God did all these things for them, and they just sinned against God. They wouldn't believe. You know, that's all he was asking of them. Believe, follow, look at me, I'll take care of it. And they wouldn't. They couldn't see just ahead a little bit to the great salvation they would have received in the promised land. Nonetheless, they came to Moses and said, we've sinned and these snakes are biting us and stuff. So the Lord uh, 
talked to Moses. Actually, I should say Moses went to the Lord and asked, what do I do? And the Lord spoke to him and said, make a, a fiery serpent and put it on a pole and lift it up. And when they look at that serpent, they'll be healed. And most people say, what is this about? That's just weird. But what those people understood was that if you put something on a pole like that, it was cursed. That's what they knew. That's what they understood. The average Israelite understood that, that it was cursed. That's what it meant. So here he put this, these snakes, these serpents represented the, the snakes and the serpents on the ground. In other words, this curse. He put this curse, these serpents, on a pole and lifted it up. And when the, the people looked at it, they were healed. And this is really interesting. It's beyond interesting. It was a foreshadowing. That's why Jesus said, as Moses, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. It means that Jesus was put on a cross and made a curse. It was the same thing. Jesus was made a curse. We know that. We know that from Galatians. Christ has redeemed us. Look at this, Galatians 3. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. It's an exact replica of what happened when Moses lifted up that serpent. In other words, the serpent was, those serpents were cursed. And therefore, when you believe what God did, you are liberated. God cursed those serpents. That's what he was saying to them. And he's saying to us, Jesus became a curse. So we don't have to. We don't have to have the effects. We don't have to get bitten by snakes, so to speak, like the Israelites were back in those days. I know this is hard to follow in some cases, but we've seen some beautiful scriptures here. Look at, again, Romans, you know, Romans 10. Look at that. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that the that believes. This is just awesome. It's saying, brothers and sisters, that the burden of doing right doesn't fall on your shoulders when it comes to your righteousness before God. That burden fell on Jesus, and he took it willingly and lovingly for you. He took your place, and he died. But what died was all that sin, and all those curses. He became a curse. You just read it, Galatians 3 and 13. Read it for yourself. He became a curse so that we wouldn't have to bear it. He became us so that we could become like him. He became like us so that we could become like him. That's the good news, folks. Your sins he will remember no more. You see it in Jeremiah. You see it in the Old Testament God was talking about it. That's just incredible. Brothers and sisters, when you believe in Christ, you are so incredibly blessed. We are incredibly blessed. That should just make you just jump. And that's what the joy of the Lord is. You know, it says the joy of the Lord is your strength. And I asked the question, well, what, what is the joy of the Lord? And I realized this gospel is the joy of the Lord. It's incredibly deep and wonderful and amazing and simple all at the same time. 
God bless you for coming and listening today. We're going to stay with this. I think we're going to stay in the heart of the gospel. And I hope today's episode was a real blessing for you. Look at these scriptures again. See that the Lord loves you. See that when you believe on him, that all your sins and everything are forgotten and he sees you as righteous. He sees Jesus in you. That's what he sees. You're righteous by faith. And the burden of the law is no longer on your shoulders. And you know, the good works that you will do, they'll come out of love. You'll do good works, but they'll come out of love and your righteousness is of him, not of yourself. It's of him. God bless you. Thank you for stopping by and we'll see you next time.